Welcome to Reframe the Game. My name is Kent Games. I'm an athletic trainer, educator, and lover of breakthroughs. In this perspective shifting podcast, we bring you the mindset, the motivation, and the methods to help you develop as a conscious healthcare provider. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's dive in. MedBridge provides evidence based courses, unlimited CEUs, a home exercise program featuring over 6,000 exercises, and much more. Use promo code THEADVANTAGE, that is T-H-E-A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E, to get an annual MedBridge subscription for as low as $200. Welcome back to Reframe the Game. Today, I thought we could have a conversation about being a conscious athletic trainer, what a conscious athletic trainer is, what it means to be a conscious athletic trainer, and really, why would an athletic trainer want to choose to be a conscious athletic trainer at any given moment? So this is going to be a little bit about me and how I have this perspective on how we can choose to act and choose to behave and kind of a state of being that we can have as athletic trainers. It was developed from some organizational leadership work, and it really resonated with me, and I was attracted to it, so I dug in a little deeper, and I started to build this framework around the concept of a conscious athletic trainer and what that means in the context of being an athletic trainer, and how any athletic trainer can choose to be conscious or unconscious at any point in the day or any point in their career or at any point in their journey. So a conscious athletic trainer is an athletic trainer who is open, curious, and committed to learning about themselves, about their environment, and about the profession of athletic training. And like I mentioned, at any moment, an athletic trainer can either be conscious or unconscious. So they can be a conscious athletic trainer at any moment, or we can be an unconscious athletic trainer at any moment. When I say unconscious athletic trainer, what I mean is that's when we are behaving in a closed off defensive manner and we're committed to being right and we're unwilling to change. We've all been there. I've been in that mindset before. I've been in that headspace where I have just been defensive, closed off, and absolutely I was going to be right. Whether it was actually right or not, I was going to be right and I wasn't going to change that. The goal in this conversation about being a conscious athletic trainer is not to become a conscious athletic trainer. Rather, being a conscious athletic trainer is a state of being we want to be in as much as possible where we can choose to be a conscious athletic trainer as often as we want. And at any moment, we can be conscious or unconscious. And it's neither good nor bad. We can function and we can lead and we can be effective either as a conscious athletic trainer or an unconscious athletic trainer. And the state of being of a conscious athletic trainer is not necessarily about what you do on a moment-to-moment basis. It's not like, you know, you're walking around and you're super aware and you're you're meditating and you're in this zen-like state. Rather, it's how you do it. There's no special thing that you need to do to be a conscious athletic trainer. 
Rather, it's how you do your job as an athletic trainer, how you hold yourself as a human, how you hold yourself as a professional. To put it in another way, being a conscious athletic trainer is the context by which we live our personal and professional lives, not the content by which we live our life. So it's not the content of diagnosing an injury, or it's not the content of working through an evaluation with a patient, or it's not the content of having a difficult conversation with a stakeholder. Rather, it's how we do those things. It's the energy that we bring, whether we're open or closed, to that conversation, to that interaction, to whatever moment that is. At first glance, if I asked you right now, would you want to be a conscious athletic trainer or would you want to be in a state of, a, of an unconscious athletic trainer? I think we all probably would say that we would want to be in a place of openness, of curiosity, and of learning. Yet many of us are not any given moment, especially when things are really hard and we feel threatened. I feel like, at least in my experience, oftentimes as athletic trainers, we do feel threatened for any number of reasons. We feel threatened. Maybe it's someone who is questioning us and we feel like that questioning is not to gain clarity, but rather to attack our competence as a healthcare provider. Oftentimes when we work in the secondary school or college university or professional sports setting or even working with an amateur and recreational sports, the idea of competition and we either win or we lose, we can't just be. And we're, and we're always, you know, you're either a winner or a loser, right? And I think that environment creates this false sense of threat. And to be quite honest, the literature, not, not in athletic training, but the literature in terms of conscious leadership and in organizational psychology, it says pretty clearly that it's comfortable to be in this unconscious state, this fixed state where we are comforted by our own beliefs about how the world works, about how the profession works, and how we should operate. It feels good to be in that space. And it feels good to surround ourselves with other people who believe the same thing as us. And when we lock into that, it validates us. It makes us feel like we belong. And when we do that, we fall back into this place where we're closed, defensive, committed to being right, and unwilling to change. And as a result, when I talk about being a conscious athletic trainer or choosing to be a conscious athletic trainer, I'm really talking about a commitment. And it's a commitment to intentional work to develop opportunities in a conscious state of being. So it's a commitment to intentional work to develop opportunities to be in a conscious state of being. So you have to create opportunities for you to choose to be open, curious, and committed to learning. And by developing the skills, the belief system, the ways of being and learning about learning or meta-learning that support us in reaching and sustaining for as long of a moment as we can, a conscious state, we're able to support ourselves along our lifelong journey of growth and development. And that's really where one, one of the reasons I created this podcast and created Reframe the Game was this conversation that we need to have conversations about the mindset our belief systems as athletic trainers. 
We need to have conversations about our motivations as athletic trainers, and we need to have conversations about the methods by which we have to grow and develop, or really how we don't have a lot of options, at least at the surface, on how to grow and develop as a human. And really taking this idea of personal development is a form of professional development, and we should equally invest in both personal development and professional development in order to become a better professional. And this idea is wrapped up in the idea of being a conscious athletic trainer, being open, curious, and committed to learning. And when I think about this in relation to the profession, those three components, openness, curiosity, and a commitment to learning, are all characteristics that improve a number of metrics that are important to athletic trainers, right? They can improve patient outcomes. They can improve patient satisfaction in terms of the care they receive by their provider, in terms of of any metric within patient satisfaction, right? And by introducing these concepts together as a state of being, as opposed to just things that athletic trainers do, the framework of the conscious athletic trainer is able to provide a target for athletic trainers to aim to as we continue on our growth and development journey, not only as individuals or as athletic trainers, but also as a profession in general. As we grow and as we mature and we enter the next phase and the next phases of our profession's maturation, we need to have a target for what does an athletic trainer look like next. We can talk for days and weeks and years and probably dig our heels in if we talk about what athletic trainers are going to be doing in 50 years from now. And I think it's also important that we have a conversation about how they will be doing what they're doing, the context in which we hold ourselves as professionals, how we communicate with one another, how we communicate with ourselves, what's our internal dialogue, how do we create a sustainable profession for new professionals and early career athletic trainers, how do we create a sustainable profession for athletic trainers who have been practicing for 20, 30, 40 years? How do we create a sustainable profession for athletic trainers who are choosing to prioritize something else other than their job? Oftentimes, I believe that the narrative in the profession is that we're an athletic trainer first and everything else second, or we're a human second. And that's an unsustainable path. That's an unsustainable path for individuals, and that's an unsustainable path as a profession, because eventually, at some point in our journey, that will no longer serve us. At some point, either we retire or something else happens before that, where being an athletic trainer first and athletic trainers in that position have to make a choice. My point is, why do we have to choose? Why can't it be both? Why can't we be humans first and athletic trainers second, third, fourth, or fifth, or sixth, or tenth, or wherever we choose to put that in our lives and still be successful in whatever metrics we want to use in what we do every day as a professional? We're not having these conversations. We're not having these conversations in professional education. We're not really having these conversations in post-professional education. We are not regularly having these conversations after we've graduated. We're not having these conversations in professional practice, especially when we cluster these things together. 
you know, openness, curiosity, and a commitment to learning. And we're not talking about the belief system that we have and the mindset that we approach being a professional with as a valuable component of professional development. We're not talking about that. That how do we know it's not valuable? Because intentionality demonstrates value. And value, like it or not, value is sometimes tied to continuing education. And continuing education is fundamentally different than professional development and fundamentally different than personal development. But it's the entryway for many people to get into and to develop as professionals, and it's through continuing education. When we refuse or we make it difficult to add value or to somehow add worth to the conversation about openness, curiosity, and commitment to learning, we are leaving it up to chance and demonstrates we're not making it intentional. That diminishes the value of the conversation. I believe if more athletic trainers can make the commitment to engage consciously as a healthcare provider, it could expand our influence and improve our patient outcomes. It could improve our patient satisfaction as well as it can improve our profession's vitality and it can improve our profession's sustainability, both as individuals and as the sustainability of the profession of athletic training. I want to take a moment to go deep here and kind of explore some of these concepts and what choosing to be a conscious athletic trainer requires and kind of the components of that. As I've mentioned, being a conscious athletic trainer is a commitment. It's a commitment to being open, curious, and committed to learning in one's own personal life. Also their professional life, right? We have to be committed in our personal life and we have to be committed in our professional life. If we break that down even further, it involves self-awareness, self-evaluation, and self-empowerment. It's both a skill set and a mindset. It's more than just, I'm going to do these steps, and then I'm going to be in a conscious state, or I'm somehow going to perform as a conscious athletic trainer. We have to shift our mindset. We have to realign our motivation, and then we have to take action in skills and abilities that help us demonstrate to ourselves and demonstrate to others this way of being in terms of being a conscious athletic trainer. It also requires us to enlist our network to help us improve. We have to look for the resources that are already around us and those people who are already in our corner, specifically professionally, and we have to ask them to help. We have to invite them into our own learning. And in doing so, we have to be vulnerable. We have to invite others to view what we perceive as our own inadequacies as a professional. Hopefully, if they're in your network, they're willing to help you because we're all in it together. And this whole process requires humility. It requires humility because we're going to try and we're going to fail. And any commitment to learning is a commitment to failing. Any commitment to openness and curiosity is a commitment to really exploring and finding a bunch of dead ends. 
But every dead end that you find, you learn something else about yourself. You learn something else about how you engage in the profession of athletic training. You learn something else about how you react and how you're triggered as a human. And every single one of those dead ends and every single one of those turnarounds or those cul-de-sacs or those loops or those spirals that we get in on this journey is filled with valuable information that can help us grow and develop and move us further on our journey, even if in the moment it feels like we're stuck. The other thing that being a conscious athletic trainer requires is it requires us to let go of our limiting beliefs. It requires us to acknowledge them and to neutralize them and then make the choice to leave them behind. And what I mean by limiting beliefs, there, you know, there's an unlimited number of examples in the profession and in life. One is in order to be a good athletic trainer or to be a valuable athletic trainer, you must always be available. You must always be available for the patients that you work with. And we demonstrate this by working unreasonable hours, being there longer than we need to be, and then actually being built into the system of our hiring structure and then created job expectations. So this limiting belief has now become so ingrained in who we are as athletic trainers that it's become ingrained in our systems. And so now our systems will perpetuate this limiting belief that in order to be good or to have quality, you must work an unreasonable amount of time. And we use excuses like, well, that's just what it is to be an athletic trainer as really excuses and justifications for our systematic introduction of a limiting belief into the profession of athletic training. It's an uncomfortable truth and it's an uncomfortable conversation to have. But when we look around, we see it everywhere. And I don't know if there's any athletic trainer, and maybe there is, I shouldn't say it because I don't know it's an absolute truth. But in my experience, athletic trainers feel that pressure. Athletic trainers feel the pressure to always be available, whether that is to give patients or coaches or physicians or administrators your personal cell phone and then use that personal cell phone for business conversations and essentially use that personal cell phone for 24-7 access to the athletic trainer. It goes on and on. If you're working in a more traditional setting, it could be when you drive a patient to a doctor's appointment or you want to attend the doctor's appointment with the with the patient. All of that's well and good. However, it's a belief that we have of ourselves. If we are to add value, we must do everything or we must be the concierge for the patient in order to be of value to the organization. And that has a couple consequences. The first consequence is it's unsustainable. The second consequence is at some point, the individuals that you're working with will no longer be the patients that you work with. Either you'll move on or they'll move on, they'll graduate, they'll do something, right? They won't, will no longer be your patient. And now they're going to be less equipped to know how to navigate the healthcare system because you've always navigated it for them. It's perfectly fine to be a guide, but a guide is not a concierge. 
And so to go through the process with them, and I think you can probably better serve the patients that you work with by being a guide and walking through the process with them and letting them lead. So you're walking next to them, or maybe you're walking behind them for a period of time why they schedule their own appointments, why they attend their own appointments, why they are responsible for taking notes at their own appointment so they can bring them back to you and have a conversation about what this means in the context of their specific situation. Of course, you can always follow up with the physician. But the the limiting belief is that in order to have value, we must be a concierge to the student athletes or the patients we work with on a daily basis. The other part of, I mentioned vulnerability earlier in terms of being a conscious athletic trainer. In addition to vulnerability, it requires us to let go of the outcome and really focus on the process because the outcome will be the outcome. And if our process is off or if our process is not working the way it should be, the system will create the outcome that the system was designed to create. So if you get a poor outcome, you cannot focus on the outcome and work to change the outcome. You have to take a step back and you have to focus on improving the process because the system created that poor outcome and it did exactly what it was designed to do. So we have to take a step back and release ourselves from the power of the outcome and the allure of the outcome and rather focus on the process of getting better, focus on the process of learning, and accepting the fact that we had a system and that system created a poor outcome. I cannot ever take that poor outcome back, but what I can do is improve the system and work to supersede or insert the new outcome that the revised system created, and hopefully that will demonstrate as evidence that our system has been improved and we can move forward again. We've partnered with OnlineTherapy.com. That's Online-Therapy.com, a complete counseling toolbox where you get the support and tools you need to be happier. And it's all based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Head over to Opportune.at slash online therapy. That's opportune.at slash online therapy to get started for free and enjoy 20% off of your first month of therapy. Advantage is the premier provider of non-traditional work, advocacy, and resources while pushing the boundaries of athletic training. Follow them on social media at The Advantage and join their email list for an even deeper dive into all things non-traditional and access to even more boundary-pushing content. So I know we did just kind of go deep, and we went in a bunch of different paths, you know, a bunch of little like creeks that were all tied into the same river of being a conscious athletic trainer. Now that we know what it's about like on a 10,000 foot level, you may be asking yourself, why would anyone want to become a conscious athletic trainer? It seems like there's not a lot of concreteness about choosing to be a conscious athletic trainer at any moment. It seems like there's a lot of risk and vulnerability and humility 
that's involved. It, there seems like there's a lot of challenge in terms of releasing some of the limiting beliefs that have been ingrained into who we are as athletic trainers. And my simple response is because it allows us to intentionally and effortlessly flow through our careers without the unnecessary anxiety of expectation. It's about the long game in choosing to be a conscious athletic trainer. It's about the macro vision for your life while taking immediate actions to align yourself in the direction you see your future. So choosing to be a conscious athletic trainer is not about what's going to move me through this next situation, but it is about what's going to move you through this next situation. It's both the macro and the micro. It's about the long game. It's about having a grander vision for yourself beyond the end of the season and having a vision for your life and then understanding how the context of your life fits into athletic training or rather how the job of an athletic trainer fits into the larger context of your life and what you want from your life as a human being and how your role as an athletic trainer will influence that in the short term and the long term. But it's also about taking those immediate actions to align yourself and to shift yourself into a place where you are on a path that is consistent with your vision for yourself. Through much of my career, I have kind of been plagued with this unnecessary anxiety and the, the weight of expectations. And I don't know if anyone else who's listening right now has been there, but it's a really uncomfortable place to be. And it's a very unsatisfying place to be because you on the outside, you could be clicking on all cylinders. You could look like a rock star. You could look like a superstar and everyone's giving you praise and it feels really good for a couple seconds. But then any quiet moment is filled with this overwhelming weight of expectation. Like, how am I supposed to keep this up? that comes with anxiety, then you start on this game, right? Where you're trying to one-up yourself every single day. And every time you make a mistake, which we all will make mistakes, it turns into blame, shame, and guilt. It's not, well, what can I learn from this situation? It's how stupid are you for making that mistake? You're so stupid for messing up. And it becomes this internal conversation that isn't very kind to ourselves, And we end up being our biggest critic, not from a constructive criticism perspective, from just a bully. We are our own worst bully in our lives when we're hampered by the weight of expectation and this anxiety that comes from this place of not being conscious, of being committed to being right, and being committed to this idea that it's your way or the highway, and that creates people who are successful. You can be successful and not be in a conscious state. You can be closed off and be successful. Absolutely. I was closed off for a very long time and I kicked ass and took names and I would label myself as a success for various parts of my life. But my personal life was a wreck. My fulfillment and my enjoyment of my job and my career and of my life was at an all-time low. But you couldn't tell that. You couldn't see that from the praise and the accomplishments and the well wishes, you know, and, and the opportunities that I continue to get because of the way I was operating. 
And, you know, this really brings us back around to kind of this long range conversation about learning and growing and how learning and growing are more important than being right. And learning and growing are more important than winning. This was a lesson that I had to learn. It was hard to learn and it's still difficult because I am a competitor by nature. I have this competitiveness within me and I want to win and I want to be right. It hurts my ego, right? And it stings me when I'm not right or I lose, especially when I'm in this unconscious state because I'm so defensive about I have to be the winner or I have to be right. But when we choose and and we commit to acting in a conscious way as a conscious athletic trainer, we can kind of release ourselves from that grip. And we can see that learning and growing are absolutely more important than being right. I much rather would lose, if you will, or be wrong and learn something along the way and then be able to use that information or that knowledge that I gained the next time I encounter a difficult situation than to constantly succeed, 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 succeed without any challenges because I'm, I'm not gaining any information. I'm not learning about myself and my successes. I think there's a quote about this, right? We can learn from our successes, but we learn way more from our failures or from our missteps. I think that's absolutely true. When we approach the world from a learning and growth perspective, there are opportunities all around us to support our own growth and development. And every single misstep, every single failure, if you want to call it that, every, every single mistake, they're not failures, they're not mistakes, they're not missteps, they're simply opportunities to learn. And, and they're everywhere. We just have to view them like that and quit beating ourselves up when an opportunity to learn comes across our path. We're so harsh on ourselves when something doesn't go the way we had envisioned it going. It is what it is, and that outcome can't be changed. What we can do is work on ourselves or work on our process and then work to create a better outcome next time. Maybe that next time is five minutes from now. Maybe that next time is five years from now. Who knows? But we can't change the outcome that's already occurred. The best we can do is alter our process and alter our way of being in order to create a better outcome next time. And at this point in the conversation, you've heard me talk about being open and curious and committed to learning and all of these really cool things that may sound attractive to you. And you may be feeling a little down on yourself right now and saying, well, that's just not the way my brain works. I hear what you're saying, Kent. My brain doesn't work that way. My behaviors don't match that. You can say this every single time, but when I feel threatened, I'm going to react in a defensive and a closed off way. Sure, this can work when I'm by myself or I've got a really not difficult patient panel to work with or I don't have a difficult caseload at the time. But when things are difficult and maybe there's a difficult stakeholder, a difficult physician or a difficult coach or a difficult parent, whatever it is, we flip that switch and we become defensive. I know, I I know what you're saying, and it may feel a little defeating right now, but 
we're actually wired, we're actually hardwired to act defensively, to be in the unconscious state, if you will. Our brains are wired to perceive things in our lives as threats. Evolutionarily, being hardwired to perceive threats helped us survive in the presence of real threats, like scanning the horizon for a saber-toothed tiger. From an evolutionary perspective, it was really beneficial for our ancestors if we were able to say, that's a saber-toothed tiger versus that's a tree. Right? We, if we were to look over the horizon, it was really helpful for us to be able to distinguish that because then we could take action to survive. And as our society developed and as the real threats in our lives diminished, right? We're not running away from saber-toothed tigers anymore. Our hardwired system and our hardwired system to detect threats still existed and it still exists today. And so our brains and our minds are still scanning the horizon, but the horizon isn't, you know, saber-toothed tigers now. When we scan, we see things that are threats in our lives, but they're not really threats. They're not threats to our physical safety. They're not threats to our physical well-being. They're not threats to our survival. They're threats to our egos. And when our ego is threatened, our brain and our mind can't tell the difference between physical safety and ego safety. And so since we're unable to distinguish between physical safety and threats to our egos, we oftentimes are in this unconscious state where we're defensive, where we are working to be right. Because those things from an evolutionary and biological perspective helped keep us alive. But a threat to our ego isn't going to kill us today. It's just going to feel really uncomfortable. But that doesn't stop our brain from saying, this feels like I'm going to die. And so I have to fight back, or I have to be defensive, or I have to close myself off. And being a conscious athletic trainer is about approaching ourselves, our environment, and the profession of athletic training with openness, awareness, and curiosity. And to be able to address the beliefs our egos have created and to more intentionally develop ourselves and others. So the reason choosing to be a conscious athletic trainer is a commitment is because we have to work to become aware that what our brain and what our mind is telling us is a threat to our ego, not a threat to our physical safety. That's the first step. We have to become aware enough and we need to shift and say, every time I feel threatened, I may not actually be threatened physically or my safety may not be threatened. And once we're able to raise that level of awareness, then we can start to intervene. Then we can commit. But it is a commitment because it's difficult. Because you're not going to feel like committing to being open. You're not going to feel like committing to not being right. You're not going to want to be committed to learning. It's not natural because our brains are not hardwired that way. But it doesn't mean it's not possible. And just because you're not experiencing it right now, or you haven't experienced it regularly, doesn't mean you can't experience it, and doesn't mean you can't experience it regularly. The idea of conscious leadership has been developed in organizational psychology and management and leadership for several years now. And 
I believe that this concept holds through for athletic training as well. Even though from a research perspective, we don't have any studies that directly measure changes in our patient outcomes, changes in our profession sustainability, changes in individual athletic trainer retention, if they're in a state of being in terms of being a conscious athletic trainer or not. But that's a perfect research study. If someone wants to do it, I'd be happy to collaborate. But we can glean information from organizational psychology. It doesn't necessarily change our outcomes. It changes the way we do our work. And so our work becomes less stressful. Our work becomes more sustainable. And the value and the application of becoming a conscious provider can be seen in the value and the application in leadership development. I think one of the most prominent examples of how conscious, how being a conscious athletic trainer may improve us as professionals can be seen in some of the work through the Conscious Leadership Group. They have a book out, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. They've got several trainings. They've got consulting work. And and they've worked to improve the consciousness of individuals and organizations across the country. You know, these concepts, things like committing to curiosity, understanding that you're the solution, concept of radical responsibility, all of these are components of choosing to be conscious, a commitment to rest, recovery, and play, a commitment to find your genius a commitment to understand that you are enough and you're not missing anything. Rather, we're looking on ways to improve ourselves, but that doesn't take away from who you are. All of these components wrap into what it means to be a conscious provider. And through this podcast, Reframe the Game, I hope to bring and continue to bring these strategies to light and really, again, reframe our conversation and provide us strategies to shift our mindsets, to explore our motivations, and to implement methods so that we can more consistently find this way of being in terms of being a conscious athletic trainer. For today's activity, I want to engage in an intention activity, and it's and I'll call it commitments and intentions. And so for this activity, you're going to need three sticky notes. You'll need a place to stick them as well, preferably like a prominent part of your office or a prominent part of your home, someplace that you regularly walk by. I have mine on the edge of my computer screen. And if you don't have sticky notes right now, you can just have a sheet of paper right now and then transfer them to sticky notes later. So on the first sticky note, write the sentence, I am committed to openness. On the second sticky note, write, I am committed to curiosity. On the third sticky note, write, I am committed to learning. Now take these three sticky notes and place them together, either side by side or up and down, some place where you will regularly see them. So cluster them together in a regular part of your office, in a regular part of your home, somewhere where you will see them, you know, five to 10 to 15 to 30 times a day. And every time you see them or at important parts of your day, let's say there's a transition period of your day where 
you know, you've gotten in, you've been in the athletic training facility for 30 minutes or so, you've got pre-practice setup set up, and uh, now you are getting ready to have uh, patients come in for rehabilitation and, and pre-practice treatments or something like that, right? That's a notable transition time. Spend three to five seconds on each commitment and say that commitment out loud. Say it out loud. I am committed to openness. I am committed to curiosity. I am committed to learning. And do that, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30 times a day. It's just three to five seconds. I think I did all three of those in four seconds, right? It's a very small activity, but it can dramatically shift our intentions throughout the day because the words that you are saying are programming your mind to be those things, to be open, to be curious, to be committed to learning. And the more regularly we can set those intentions, the more profound influence we can see that in our life. And what you could notice is in where situations could arise where in the past you could have felt threatened, you go back to what you told yourself 20 minutes ago. You go back to what you told yourself 10 minutes ago. I'm going to be committed to being open. So let's just play this out. There's no reason to get threatened right now. There's no reason to feel defensive. The person, the coach, the patient is just asking a question. So I can be open and I can approach this with curiosity. And if there is some disagreement or there's a conflict or there's some friction in this relationship, I can commit to learning. I can commit to approaching it with a sense of wonder so I can better understand where she's coming from and in order to take action so I can improve myself. So the next time we don't have that friction. And then we can take this into our personal lives as well. When we feel this friction of, I really should be going home right now. Why am I staying? You know, we've committed to unreasonable hours. We can have a commitment to learning about, well, why am I invested in staying and hanging out just in case someone needs me, right? We can start to expand these conversations beyond interactions and look more macro and more long range about the implications a commitment to being open, curious, and committed to learning could have on our short-range and long-range sustainability and uh, vitality as a professional. Keep these sticky notes up. Don't do this activity one time and take them down. Keep them up at your place of practice and practice them. And practice the practice of pausing and setting an intention and setting intention to keep your commitments. And do that throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year. You know, if your sticky notes start to fall off, get a couple more sticky notes and rewrite them and get the new adhesive so they'll stay up longer. The more you practice this, it is a practice. Committing to yourself is a practice. And I love the fact that you can commit to yourself. And while you're committing to yourself, you can inspire others to take action. That's why I like the public display of the intentions and of the commitments and the verbal manifestations of the commitment by physically saying with your voice, with your voice, you're giving it power. I am committed to openness. I am committed to curiosity. I am committed to learning. Our ego will say, I want to just say this in my head. 
because our ego is saying, if I say this out loud, that I'm making myself vulnerable. But the commitment to be a conscious athletic trainer is to say, this is not really a threat to my real life. This isn't, this is not a threat to my life. This is a threat to my ego. So I'm going to choose not to listen to the threat detection system right now. And I'm going to go ahead and say it out loud. And when you say it out loud, if there are other athletic trainers or patients that are around, you can inspire them. You can inspire them through your actions to consider what being a conscious athletic trainer or a conscious student or a conscious human looks like. You know, I love that because you get a chance to lead by example, and you don't have to do anything except for commit to yourself. You can be selfish and also be selfless in your selfish act. And I want to close out today's episode with an invitation, an invitation to all athletic trainers to commit to being open, curious, and be committed to learning. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey in your personal life or your professional life. I invite you to commit to openness, curiosity, and learning. And through this commitment, we can collectively improve ourselves as humans while simultaneously improving ourselves as professionals. CBD has become increasingly popular for the treatment of pain, anxiety, focus, sleep, and more. We've partnered with Sweat CBD, who delivers 100% natural, full-spectrum CBD oil, gummies, and lotions. Head to sweatcbd.com and use code ADVANTAGE, A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E, for 10% off at checkout. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Reframe the Game. If you found value or were inspired by this episode, please share it with a colleague or a friend so we can collectively have conversations in order to grow and develop both as humans and professionals. 